What's up, guys? Thank you for joining me. Welcome to The Strength Connection. I'm Michael Krakowski, connecting with the top minds in the world of strength so we can share stories, insights, and experiences to help us become stronger every day. So Dr. Lisa Lewis, psychologist, addictions counselor, and the creator of Psych Skills for Fit Pros, joins me on the show today. I'm obsessed with the topic of connecting both strength and mind and body. So talking with Dr. Lisa for me is an absolute joy. I first spoke with her last summer. It was one of my favorite conversations I've had. We talked about how we connect mind and body in different practices and the topic of leveraging our own superpowers. It was so spot on. And in this talk, I was excited to go into detail of Psych Skills for Fit Pros. It's the course she developed to help coaches assess motivation of their clients and uses the self-determination theory to maximize their motivation to help more people succeed in their goals for the rest of their life. The more we chatted, I realized that these are not just lessons for coaches to use. This is information that everyone can utilize, both for strength in body and in mind. If you're interested in the similarities and differences between the physical and mental sides of strength, you're going to love this. Now you can also watch the podcast as well as listen. Check out this episode and all episodes going forward on YouTube at The Strength Connection. Go check it out, subscribe to the show, and turn notifications on so you can catch all new episodes dropped every week. Thank you so much for being here. Much love to you and see you on the inside. Dr. Lisa, good to see you. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me back, Mike. Yeah, no, as I said last time, it was one of the episodes we did on the Breakthrough Secrets podcast that I absolutely loved talking with you when we went through leveraging your powers and stuff. So I'm super excited to, to jump back on and go over some of this mind-body connection that we all like to good. talk about. Good, let's go. Yeah. So, well, first off, um, I see you're getting back into training. I know you're recovering from an injury, so training going well again? Yeah. I mean, I'm always training. I guess sometimes my training is just rehab and recovery, and sometimes my training is full throttle. So I'm in a phase now where I'm not picking up super heavy stuff, but um, I'm hoping to get back to it as I you know, continue to rehab and use exercise as rehab. Yeah. You learn so much from that time, right? Of just building absolutely, back up. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Yeah, no, no doubt. So, yeah. Well, listeners, um, if you if you haven't listened to the podcast we did with uh, Dr. Lisa before, she's a doctor of psychology and addictions counselor out from Boston. Um, our conversation last time on the Breakthrough Secrets podcast was amazing. Of really connecting the mental side of strength and physical side, and also got into Lisa's kind of origin story of how she got in. So if you haven't listened to that one, please go back and check that out. And, you know, today to kick this off, Lisa, um, you know, the, the connection of mind and body with kind of in regards to strength, I think is such an interesting topic because like, I think getting in better shape for like the physical body can definitely help with the mental side. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like this, this concept that's gone on of like the gym is my therapy, I think Mm. is kind of, there's some, there can, if that can be misconstrued in some ways. So I know in your profession and really focusing on the mental side with people in your Mm -hmm. clients, as well as fit pros, like, I'd love to just get your, your kind of, um, opinion on kind of that term, the gym is my therapy. And if that's like on the right point, or if there's some things that we need to kind of add on top of that. Well, I certainly think that going to the gym and exercise, engaging with your body is to use your word therapeutic. And I Mm -hmm. think it is a therapy, just like there's physical therapy and massage therapy. There is psychotherapy. So strength training is not psychotherapy. It is, it can be therapeutic and it can help your mind and your body. Um, 
But I think what you're referring to is people's, maybe people are saying, oh, when I come to the gym or when I train, that's, that is a substitute of, for psychotherapy for me. Mm-hmm. And that's not true because psychotherapy is different than picking up heavy stuff, <laughs> of course. Right. Um, but can it help with all the same things? Can it reduce depression? Can it manage anxiety? Can it help to lower stress? Can it improve your self-esteem, your sleep-wake cycle, your sex drive, your appetite? Yes, to all those things. So Mm -hmm. it is a tool in the toolbox. Uh, It is a medicine in the medicine cabinet, if you will, but it's not the same medicine. It's not the same therapy as psychotherapy is. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that 100% makes sense. And I think, you know, the last time when we chatted, one of the things you said that was so interesting was, especially for fit pros of when people sign up and we're getting into training, Mm -hmm. a lot of those people even if they sign up, they put money down and they're, they're not actually fully ready to commit to themselves yeah. you know, because of the questioning. And that was something that just jarred in my head so much of that. And I'm like, I think that really comes back to the questions that we ask people that we're working with. And sometimes the questions that we ask ourselves. And that's why this kind of whole idea of um, the gym is my therapy has seemed like like people are getting in shape, they're getting in better shape, but still it's not 100% getting them to that full happiness. And that's, you know, from there. So do you think that's Mm -hmm. coming maybe from people not asking the right questions about their goals when they first get into health and fitness? I'm not sure about that. Mm -hmm. I think that often people know that something's wrong, but they're not exactly sure how to fix it. And quite frankly, who can really know? I mean, oftentimes what I find is two things. Number one, it's trial and error. In other words, as you are working on yourself, you figure out what helps and then what else is needed. And number two, I firmly believe that all roads lead to Rome. So I think that if somebody is depressed and they choose to start working on themselves by signing up for a gym and working out, that's okay because what's probably going to happen is they're going to get some benefit. They're going to get some effect, but it's not going to address everything. And what is not going to be addressed is not going to be made clear to them until after they're working out and they're engaged in their training and they're pursuing their goals. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's not, it's not going to make itself clear until they actually do some work. I think this happens a lot in nutrition that people will be like, I just need the right coach or the right diet or the right plan. And really what they need to do is engage and find a coach they like and practice the plan to be like, oh shit, it doesn't matter how good the plan is. I need to not snack for pleasure or escape or to kill pain. I actually have an emotional thing going on, But how are they going to know that? How are they going to be able to develop that insight until they actually take the journey of working on the nuts and bolts, X's and O's? Um, And so, you know, many a time I have heard a client say, yeah, I I joined the gym. I got stronger. I lost 20 pounds. I was feeling good about myself, but still, you know, I was having trouble in my relationships or I was still having panic attacks two days a week or something like that. So I think that when any way that people work on themselves leads them in the right direction, it leads Mm -hmm. them down the path to Rome and it's being able to get some feedback and being able to see here's what's helped and here's what's still needed. And I think that's an important place coaches could come in is 
Like when you check in about how goals are going or when you have follow-up strategy sessions, what's going well and, and what, what else could be helpful mm-hmm. or where do you want to go from here? Or even coaches saying, I noticed that like you're coming in regularly, you're really getting after it, you're X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when we talk, it sounds like you're still feeling a lot of stress. So certainly your training has helped with stress management like you wanted it to, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking you want more. Is that right? And that might be a good door for them to say something like, it's totally helped, but yeah, I still am wicked stress. I'm still having trouble sleeping. All right. Well, it seems like coming in here and getting after it has helped some. I wonder if there's some other thing that would be therapeutic that would help to add to what you're already getting out of this. Gotcha. Okay. You see what I'm doing there? 100%. Yeah. So it's like, cause a lot of times it's, we like to see the whole picture in front of us, right? We like to see mm-hmm. the whole road ahead and that could, mm-hmm. that leads more to freezing and not doing anything because if we mm-hmm. can't see everything ahead, it's kind of like the, the fog versus, you know, the light. It's like, just, if you can see enough to take one step forward, that's the best thing that you can do. And these other things will come up over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I think as a, as a trainer, as a coach, mm-hmm. you have a really good bird's eye view where you could probably see your clients who could benefit from some psychotherapy, mm-hmm. but your clients may not be seeing that, you know, because they come from different backgrounds. They have different beliefs maybe about what counseling or therapy is or medication is or any of that stuff. And what is great about their behavior is that they have chosen to engage in a relationship with someone whose job it is to help them work on themselves. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have a friend of a friend who has said to me before, I don't get why people get personal trainers. Like you buy a book or you buy a program, you get the equipment, you do the workout. Now, theoretically that makes total sense. The difference is you're not having a relationship with a human being who's trying to help you and support you. And that's the important (laughs) part. So that's, that is one thing that they are getting So they are sort of on their way maybe to thinking about, or that might be preparing them to think about talking to a counselor or a therapist. Mm -hmm. So so I'll say to personal trainers all the time, when they say like, how do I bring up that somebody should talk, talk to somebody, meaning a counselor or therapist? I'll say, well, first of all, they're already doing something cool, which is seeking you out for help and -hmm. support and guidance. Um, Or I'll say to nutrition coaches, they already came to you. Like they could read a book and figure out how much protein to eat and how many carbs to eat, but no, they're engaging with you in a relationship. So there's already a precedent there and they're already doing something cool, which is trying to have another human being help them get better. Right. So it, it kind of seems like the, the friend of the friend, it's, it's a very logical way of thinking, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, we have a problem we close the loop because this is all you need. It's just the information, you know? And I wonder, is it like just now in our time now where information is so easily, you know, readily handleable? Like we, there's a million different fitness programs, million different nutrition programs. I mean, you can even go on and you can, you know, Google different, you know, mental disorder, mental disorders or what's going on in my head and you'll find some information. However, mm-hmm. a lot of these things, they usually come from an emotional side of it. And you can't get, you can't solve those emotional problems with just the logical information, right? Well, what stands out to me (laughs) about trying to deal with your own psychological issues is that you will deal with your psychological issues with your psychology. So you will try to fix or improve a part of your body 
with the part of your body that may be malfunctioning. Mm. Does that make sense? Like if your brain, if your thinking is off, your thinking is a little anxious or your thinking is a little extreme or your thinking is a little obsessive, how are you going to fix your obsessive thinking with your thinking, which is obsessive, you know? Right. So in every other area, like, you know, you probably, and people who are listening, who are trainers or people who are listening, who are fitness enthusiasts, do you ever pay or ask someone to take a look at your squat or take a look at your hip hinge? Why the hell do you do that? If you've been deadlifting for, or squatting for 10 years, 15 years, you know, exactly how to execute a hip hinge and you know how to squat. Well, you do it because it's a complicated movement and you need another set of eyes on to get some occasional feedback. So if you think about the hip and the hip hinge compared to the brain, you know, and the millions upon millions of neurological connections that there are and the way that each brain is highly plastic and accommodates to your own experience and the way you see the world. The idea that you would never need another set of eyes on the way you think and how you feel is like completely insane. <laughs> you know? Yes. Like you, you hire someone to, to write down a food log and take a look at what you eat, but you think you can handle your brain on your own. <laughs> the brain is the most complicated machine ever known to the history of man. Right. You know, and I, I get on a high horse about stigma around mental health. But if you think about how complicated the brain is and how complicated psychology is and why we think and feel the way we do, it's mind boggling, especially in comparison to executing a deadlift or a squat. I mean, it's exponentially more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yet we ask people, even experts who are listening to this podcast, ask people all the time to get eyes on and get some feedback about how they're doing and how they're moving. Right. And I think that's, that might be why, right. We, we go to something like going to the gym because it's a, it's an easy thing. Like if you go and execute a deadlift, it's going to make you feel good. And like you said, all paths lead to Rome. So it's a good Mm -hmm. Avenue. However, Mm -hmm. the brain, which is like, I read, I read a book called on intelligence on this, where it's like, we still have like no idea what's going on in this freaking, (laughs) you know, top of our Chrome that's going on here. Like there's so many different things that are going on. But that, that's such an interesting uh, thing you said there, Lisa, about like, it's our own psychology trying to fix this problem. That is the problem. It's like, you know, yeah, maybe you have a wrench in your toolbox and it could kind of, you can bang on it like it's a hammer, but it's not a hammer. It's not actually going to do the job. So it mm-hmm. sounds like you're doing something, but it's still just not doing what you need to do. You need to go find that hammer and you might not mm-hmm. have that in your toolbox to go to. Right, right. And the point being, that human beings need other human beings. We are social creatures and helping professionals are, whether you are a tax accountant or you are a psychotherapist, your job is to engage in a relationship with the sole purpose of helping that other person, you know, and that requires your bandwidth that requires communication skills. Um, and it's a, it's a hard business to be in. I think the people helping business. So when we talk about, I guess what the larger topic that you and I are discussing is, you know, people using strength training or exercise as therapy, it's therapeutic to the degree that they have a helping Mm -hmm. professional who's focused on them. And then they're going to increase blood flow to the brain and change their neurotransmitter materials and yada, 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 all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still the relationship with the coach is not focused on their thinking and their feeling and their behavior. It's focused on how they're moving in space in the gym. So it's just a different kind of therapy. Like, for example, I see, I see a therapist who does dry needling on me. 
I love that. I think that's very helpful. But then I also see a physical therapist who looks at my programming and what exercises I'm doing and how to write my programming to help me get stronger. Both of those people are helping me deal with an injury. It's just that the therapy they provide is very different. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I think that's the huge point right there is like just the, having those individual practices, those individual coach, it's a connected result that you're getting to of making you whole. But it's like, if you, if you keep going down this road, as you said, and you're getting stronger, you're getting healthier, that's going to help. But if there's still those, that stress issue or your relationship issues, more weight on the bar is maybe not the right fix. That's maybe you got it. Yeah. And I think, I think that's perfect from there. And I think this kind of segues into um, like your program that you do, which which is the psych skills for fit pros. I think this is fascinating. And we touched on it briefly, you know, last time we spoke, but not that much in depth. And um, I know that the term that you use a lot is that self-determination theory, you know, for Mm -hmm. fit pros and kind of using that skills in fit pros. If you could, could, if you could kind of give an overview of this program, kind of what SDT is and how fit pros can really use it in helping their clientele. Yeah. So self-determination theory is one theory of motivation, and there are multiple theories of motivation. The reason why I love it and feel that it is very useful for people helpers and for personal trainers, coaches in particular, is a few reasons. Number one, it has often been used in sport and exercise settings to do research, to understand people in those contexts. So if you're someone who likes to geek out and read articles and understand how this is applied to athletes, there's a lot of grist for the mill. Secondly, self-determination theory is an organismic theory, which basically means that the theory asserts that wanting to change and grow and improve yourself is part of the human condition. It is this intangible thing that exists inside you, whether that's getting really good at Sudoku or being an amazing baker, or being able to pick up two times your body weight, all human beings inherently want to gain mastery over aspects of their environment and demonstrate their skills, get good at stuff, and then show it off. And I think that as people helpers, it's very important for us to hold that belief or to have faith in that. Because if you don't believe that people want to get better and want to change and grow, you're probably going to burn out. So take like the Skinnerian kind of psychology, like behavioral psychology, which is like people either do stuff to incur reward or to avoid punishment. And they're just like these like empty machines and reacting to the environment. Mm -hmm. Like, how are you going to have a happy 20, 30, 40 year career? If you're thinking about human beings in this way, It, it, it will, I think it will create a situation where you feel that you need to motivate your clients You need to inspire them or you need to incentivize them. And I think that sets coaches up to get drained, uh, to get burnt Mm -hmm. out, to resent their clients um, and to not see the resources that clients come with. So in self-determination theory, the idea is you do not have one tank of motivation that's either empty or low or high. So when people say, oh, I I have low motivation, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. So, and quality exists along a spectrum. So some people are motivated for something external, some reward, like I want to look hot at my high school reunion, or I want to look really good at my sister's wedding. Some people 
come to it because they're like, I really should. And I feel guilty when I don't do any exercise. And then if I do, and I have a good workout, I feel really proud. I feel like better about myself. And then some people will say, I really hate exercise and everything about it. However, there's a lot of heart disease in my family and all the men, you know, every man in my family has died before they get to 55 because of Mm -hmm. heart disease. And I don't want to be that guy. So even though I don't, I'm not motivated to exercise, quote unquote, I will exercise because I want a healthier heart and I want to be around for my grandkids and so Mm -hmm. on and so forth. So all of these kinds of motives that I just described to you are technically extrinsic. They are a means to an end Mm -hmm. as opposed to intrinsic motivation, which is somebody engaging in a behavior simply for the internal state that gets created. Like there's no external reward. And in sports, that happens all the time. People love to get in flow or get in the zone and like Mm -hmm. just play the game to play the game. But in exercise, it's often not the case. And especially when we are talking about people who don't identify as athletic, who maybe didn't grow up being exposed to different sports or physical activities where they have any competency Mm -hmm. um, or where their doctor's telling them they got to do it. You know, intrinsic motivation is not going to be on the menu. So It behooves all of us as people helpers and as coaches to assess what is motivating the client, what the quality is, and then without judging whether or not that's good or that's bad, leveraging what they have to get the most out of them and to engage them. So you might think it's a lame motivation to want to look good at your sister's wedding, but that's really not your place to make that judgment. And it's not helpful. Because the way that that person is going to get engaged in a regular habit of physical activity and the way they're actually going to engage with your training and care about you and pay you and stick with you is if you respect and focus on what their goal is and keep that goal, the goal. So if you're able to do that, if you're able to say, okay, we're going to get you looking and feeling the way you want to feel, here's the plan of how I'm going to execute that. You know, here's how I work with clients and here's how we're going to pursue that goal. And here's how we're going to work on it. If you get that woman coming in and getting after it and helping her get a training effect and helping her to see results and helping her to stick with it. Guess what's going to happen after two, three, four, five months. She's going to enjoy some of those activities. She's going to benefit in terms of her self-esteem. She's going to get improvements in her mood. She's going to get a lot of rewards that are different than just looking hot at her Mm -hmm. sister's wedding. And that is actually progressing her motivation. That's actually improving the quality of her motivation. But you can't do that by saying, you know, I don't really work with fat loss clients. I, you know, I work with clients because they want to be better people and because they love exercise and check. No. So that's really why I think thinking about clients' motivation in terms of qualities and then without judging it, how you leverage it is the most effective way to get what coaches want, which is to get results for their clients, to retain their clients and to not get the life sucked out of them and to get burnt out, you know, by trying to be a good coach. That's so interesting that, I mean, because you use that word leverage, which I love for motivation and mm. with the burnout, it, it seems like what comes from burnout is if you're trying to force your own agenda on a person in front of you, where, as you mm-hmm. said, like, And even in my head, I'm thinking like, I've been doing this for 14 years now, talking with Mm -hmm. a lot of people and Mm -hmm. you have those people that come in and I want to look like this, like in our heads, I think sometimes as fit pros, sometimes we do, we can put on, get on our high horse and think like, oh, it's, it's deeper than that. You know, fitness Mm -hmm. is deeper than that. 
when in reality it's like no meet them meet them where they're at that's where mm -hmm. you and maybe that other stuff yes you can pepper that stuff in like afterwards of like all the other stuff of the in internal feeling you're going to feel great mm -hmm. stuff but mm -hmm. initially when someone comes to see you like they don't need to hear all that like they have a goal and that's where they came in and mm -hmm. focus on that goal and that's really what's going to get them in the door and ultimately kind of gain trust and then you build a relationship with that person Correct. Yeah. So you're outlining very nicely, eloquently that coaches are holding two things really. So one is the client's goal. They want fat loss or whatever. And the other is what their own mission and values and passion is, which yes. is probably not fat loss, which is probably something more deep, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. And it is deeper. You know, all of us, everybody who's listening, whether you're a coach or you're a fitness enthusiast, like this is a highly meaningful personal part of your life that is closely connected with your identity. That's us. That's not them. But, you know, those people who are novices and coming in for what they have not had the opportunity to really integrate these behaviors into their personality and their values and who they feel they are as people. And the only way that we're going to help them get there is by meeting them where they're at and bringing them along. So in other words, we have to hold both coaches have to be like, okay, I want this person to feel better about themselves and connected to their bodies and, and all, you know, all of these deep things. Mm -hmm. And I'm also going to keep the goal, the goal, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Dan John, and I'm going to yes. talk to them and focus with them and write their goals around fat loss. And as we are working together, the coach is in charge of handling those two things and seeing the client progress and then shifting language because, because I do think there's ample opportunities in training sessions to say, Hey, you know what, Jeannie, um, you came in here just wanting some fat loss, but you, you feel like such a badass after you crank out a pull-up and I love to see you with your chin up and your head held high, feeling really proud. Mm -hmm. For how much strong it seems like this had a really positive impact impact on your soul and right. maybe Jeannie will be like yeah that's yeah totally you know what true. hell yeah <laughs> right but you don't get to have that moment of reflection to her if you're not meeting her where she's at and working with her on the stuff that she wants to work on gotcha do you think that then fit pros like with the with psych skill because it does like i think now a lot of people who are in the fitness business or getting into it understand mm -hmm. that this part of it is there, whether you like it or not, but almost mm -hmm. that can be misconstrued. Like the fit pro, we don't need to be a psychologist. We don't need to be Dr. Lisa, like, and go yeah. so deep into it. It's like, if you, if we just focus on that and then, because it almost seems like we, when uh, coaches, we start to get a little bit of knowledge, like at the beginning, like these are almost easy things because you don't know anything. Like you can just mm -hmm. focus on the person talking to, okay, cool. You want to get, lose 20 pounds. We'll just go do that. Then all of a sudden you start learning more stuff and you want to just throw everything at people right away when mm -hmm. like, yes, they are going to feel greater. Yes. They maybe are going to stave off their heart disease from the family and stuff. But at the mm -hmm. moment they don't need to hear that yet. They just want to know that they have a plan of getting down to 20 pounds. From mm -hmm. it, so, yeah. It's important that the client knows that you're on board with what they want. And just to speak to that, there's like a larger, I think, question in there about mm -hmm. psych skills. I developed the course psych skills for fit pros out of experience of talking with coaches, doing in services and speaking at seminars and hearing coaches say, talk about motivation and talk about their own burnout and talk about how tricky it really is to communicate with people about changing their behavior and about mm -hmm 
making healthy behaviors. And so, you know, self-determination theory is the first couple modules of this course, like Skills for Fit Pros volume one. And the goal is number one, yes, present and, and teach about the nature of motivation and these qualities, but then also um, I take several hours in these little kind of 20 minute lectures to talk about how can you assess someone's motivation? So if you're having a strategy session, or even if you're just having a coaching session, what are the things you might see and hear that could help you to spot and identify what kind of motivation your client has? And then I spend plenty more lectures talking about, so then what do you actually do? What is actually the intervention that you would make in a strategy session or in a, uh, uh, a training session to leverage that motivation, to progress that motivation, to keep the pot stirring, you know, to keep their motivation up. Um, so that is a very large portion of the course. Also included in, in volume one are, is the trans theoretical model of change, otherwise known as the stages of change. And the reason that I include that is because most, most coaches are helping people make permanent changes to their behavior or what we want to be permanent, sustainable changes to their behavior. And all of us like working with people who are ready to change. And in fact, most people are not ready to change. Yes. <laughs> so the change process, there's many stages in the change process and only one step or one stage is actually action. So you talked earlier about, you know, people signing up to come work with you or to come get some training. And then you start working with them and you're like, I don't know if they're ready. Like they're not actually, mm -hmm. so they may have signed up being in like a preparation stage. Like I think this year I want to take better care of myself. And I, but they're actually not ready to execute what the plan is. And that is normal. That is a mm -hmm. normal part of change. But what does it do to us as people helpers? Oh my God, we take it personal. We think it's about our programming. We get pissed off and resentful. Mm -hmm. You know, we, it, it just gets in there and it, get, it messes up us up as opposed to being like, huh, the person's paying me, person's signing up and the person's not doing any of the things I'm encouraging them to do. I wonder what's going on with that person. Right. <laughs> you know? We, we want to have good results. So we automatically mm -hmm. look at ourselves. So I spent some time talking about that, how to identify what stage of change clients are in. And then how you as a coach can meet them where they're at to help them progress to mm -hmm. where they're ready to take some action um, okay. and, and to prevent taking it personal and burning yourself out. Cause that person who purchased who's coming or who, who paid you and is sort of not coming, you know, they're preparing and you might help them transition from the preparation stage to the action taking stage by the way you communicate with them around their non-compliance or their no showing or whatever the behavior mm -hmm. may be, or you could make them feel like shit and then they drop out and they don't actually ever get to action stage. So right. do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. There's a way that you can interact with an individual to help them progress. Um, but there's things you can do when somebody's not ready for change that can really backfire mm -hmm. and cause them to drop out or to quit prematurely. Right. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It reminds me of when I talk with uh, Rick Mayo from Alloy Franchises, and he was, we were talking about this of, you know, the guy who was spending so much money a month, but never showing up. And, mm. you know, it was, came in and he realized like this guy just had, he had so much money, like money wasn't an object to him. So that wasn't the motivator by it. And I think right. sometimes too, as coaches, we think like, oh, this person's spending so much money. Why aren't they coming in? It's like, mm -hmm. well, there's, there's a deeper reason behind that. And it is, it's very easy to 
just go to the first initial reaction, right? We get upset. Am I doing something wrong? My program sucks or, or they're just not motivated. They're not a good client or so. We just throw those quick labels out. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's like, yeah. no, like assessing the motivation. That was interesting that you said that about assessing motivation and that process. Could you talk a little bit more about that of how, like you, of how that process works, like of how to mm-hmm. assess somebody's motivation? Yeah, I will. And it's a great question. And I will say the course is about 13 hours of content. So I'm going to try to boil this down into 10 minutes, maybe 10 (laughs) minutes. Yeah. (laughs) But um, every coach is putting their eyes on their client every time they come in and they're seeing how are they moving today? What are they saying about the movements that they're doing? So everybody who's listening is, is always assessing what, how is mobility look? Does this person have plenty of stability today? Are they having a day where they're feeling strong or a day where they're feeling kind of cranky and crappy? Um, and probably most coaches out there, if your client is having a bad day or an off day, or if they just had an injury or they did a big run the day before, you know how to regress exercises. And then if they're getting after it, everybody knows and loves how to progress exercises. So you're, everybody listening already does this when it comes to physical training. So to assess motivation, you are observing your client and you're listening to what they're saying. So if a client's coming in and they're talking about, yeah, I went dress shopping with my sister and the other bridesmaids and they all want to wear this like strappy thing and I don't want my arm flab hanging out. So what are they talking about? They are talking about some external reward, some external result that they want. They want to change in the way their body looks in a dress. And so are you going to be talking about, you know, their self-esteem that day? No, (laughs) you're going to be talking about, all right, so let's work on your pull-up. Let's get in some push-ups today. Let's, you're going to be addressing what they're talking about. That is an external regulation there. Mm -hmm. If the client comes in and they're like, I really did not want to come in today. I was feeling so lazy. I just wanted to sit on the couch and watch Netflix, but I, I, I would have felt really guilty. I knew that I would feel like a piece of crap if I canceled on you on the last minute and I didn't want to deal with that like shame for the rest of the day, mm-hmm. this is an interjected regulation. This is a type of motivation that comes from wanting to avoid guilt and shame or wanting to incur pride. It's like a social emotion. So it's kind of internal because you're feeling a feeling, but you're feeling the feeling based on the social environment. Like okay. if it wasn't for them not wanting to let you down, their ass would be on the couch. Gotcha. Got it. So it's not the best quality of motivation. And anybody who's listening, you know, I say this very carefully. I was raised Catholic. So I feel that I have license to say anybody out there listening who's Catholic knows about Catholic guilt. Catholic guilt is interjected regulation. It's this idea of like, oh, I don't want to feel bad. So I'm going to go ahead and do this behavior or I'm going to not do this behavior. Yes. So is it, is that awesome? And is that something that's sustainable over years and years? No. But if somebody got their ass off the couch that day and got into train that day, and that's the reason why that's good because they get one more training experience with you. And then what you get to say is like, you're such a badass for coming in here, even though you didn't feel like it. That's awesome. Let's see if we can make you feel like you're an ass kicker by the end of your training session. And then at the end of the session, you would say something like, how do you feel now? And I say, oh my God, I feel so much better about myself. Like totally turn me around. Mm -hmm. So you're highlighting that you're accenting that that's not the day when you're like, oh, are you ready for that strappy dress? Because that's not what they're talking about today. Today, they're talking about feeling pride. They're talking about that, that 
emotional state that they changed mm -hmm. because they worked out. Yes. Um, That's, so and that one, leaves open an opportunity, right? That leaves open an opportunity. So they're like, you know what? You felt like a badass today. Next time you feel like I just want to sit my ass on the couch and watch Netflix, you can remember this day and know how great you felt after getting in and working out. Like it's, it's almost, you can use that as an opportunity to mm -hmm. build another brick on top of that foundation. Exactly. Exactly. And then to take it one step further, people who have identified regulation, like this might be a guy who comes in to see you and says, you know, I have always hated exercise. I've never been an athlete. I was bullied a lot by other kids because I was like always like the smallest guy playing sports. But, you know, my wife is complaining that I'm in really bad shape and my doctor is on my ass to do something about my cholesterol and my heart health. And so I got to make that stuff better. So mm -hmm. I'm here. And so with that guy, what you're doing is you might be providing some information or education, like, okay, one thing I want to do is get you a training effect. So even though we're going to be doing some weight training, I want to make sure we're getting your heart rate up and we're getting your breathing up because that's going to help your heart get stronger. That's going to help your lungs work more efficiently. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the training session, you might say like, how are you feeling? I noticed that you were really working hard for like 25 solid minutes. You were sweaty. You were breathing heavy. That's going to get you the results that you want. So you focusing right. on, you're focusing on the end that they want out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's called an identified regulation, meaning the behavior is a means to an end. They don't care about the means they care about the end. And so you bring it back to the end. Um, so sometimes mm -hmm. you, you might even say to a client, like, I know you might not be excited about dot, dot, dot exercise, but I know you want to improve your heart health. So it's going to give you, this is going to give you a lot of bang for your buck. Mm -hmm. And I promise after that, we'll do something you really like, and maybe gotcha. you get to learn about the stuff that your client likes. But so you're, you're joining with them to focus on how can I maximize getting the most out of, you know, what I want, maximizing right. my heart health or maximizing whatever else the identified motivator might be that, that older adult coming in because they want to be able to play in the backyard with their kids. Mm -hmm. You know, that's working on mobility. That's working on maybe agility. That's working on being able to get, to get them a little, mm -hmm. card, a little more cardiovascular. Right. Fitness. Mm -hmm. That's it's interesting. Cause as you, you kind of said uh, a little bit before about there, I mean, there's the different types of motivation, right? It's the pain versus pleasure model. It's like either mm -hmm. I want to get pleasure or I want to avoid pain or future mm -hmm. pain. And I used to have debates with people all the time about what's the better motivation. And, and mm. now kind of talking to you, it's almost like, I think that's kind of a bullshit debate to have because they're all motivations. They can all be powerful. It's just who's the person in front of you that you're talking to. And I think that's right. such an important thing of, and I think this is so great for fitness coaches of talking to people, but as I'm listening to you too, you can do this for yourself. It seems as well. Like this could be a self-practice of like talking to yourself. About totally. Totally. And, and I think that's such an important point you're making because people will say like, Oh, I don't have motivation or I have low motivation. So for example, a couple of years ago, I did a podcast with a woman who, who works with a lot of women who are perimenopausal, postmenopausal around fat loss. And the woman who was interviewing me said, women will DM me or email me or message me all the time saying, oh man, it's so frustrating. I have no motivation. I have really low motivation, but I know I need to do something. And I'm like, 
Okay. First of all, they're DMing you. Second of all, they're expressing frustration, aggravation, disappointment. That is all motivation. That's energy. <laughs> like they <Right>. have <laughs> lots of motivation. They're not leveraging it and they're confusing intrinsic motivation with any kind of motivation. Like you don't have to be excited and happy and joyful to do your meal prep. You know, you right. don't need that level of that quality of motivation to execute the behavior. Um, and so that's right. We all have motivation. I mean, of course I have days where I love strength training and it brings me a lot of joy and pleasure, but then I have other days where I'd rather not go. And I bring myself for some reason or the other, or for example, I love picking up heavy stuff, a lot of mobility drills. I mean, I'd rather bang my head against the wall. Right. Oh my but gosh, I identify I'm so with them. you. <laughs> <laughs> but I identify them as being important. It's an identified regulation. It's that quality of motivation of I don't want to do this. I don't, you know, I don't look forward to it, but I do it because I want to get back to picking up really heavy shit. Or I do it yes. because I want to be able to get stronger. And so improving my tissue quality is going to help me be able to get stronger. So we all have this. And we all use this. And I think if we can just remove the judgment of like good or bad motivation and just think, yes. what do I have today? And how can I make that work for me? Is you just get a lot more bang for your buck out of thinking that way. I'm that, I think that is such an important topic, not just the mobility haters club that we just started, which <laughs> I mean, I think we can add to, because every, every time I work with my coach on it, it's, and we do some mobility drills, I feel freaking amazing afterwards. And I'm yeah. like, why don't yeah. I do this more? It's like, it is a bang in my head against a wall. Cause I want to go yeah. lift heavy shit off the ground. Yeah. But yes. it's a, uh, the just motivation, just the topic of it is, I think like everything, it, there's a lot of different definitions to it. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people think that if I'm not deeply motivated, if it's not within me, all these like slogans that we see on Instagram or something like, and maybe you do just want to lose 25 pounds like that's, and not even just like, I'll take that you know away. Maybe that's really important to you. And that's a driving factor. And mm -hmm. as coaches, I think if we take that and you'd be like, that's freaking awesome. Like, let's go do that. It's like, mm -hmm. maybe it's like, I think we, we naturally judge ourselves, right. Of thinking like, Oh, I'm not totally motivated or that you have to be motivated the same way every day mm -hmm. of the week. Otherwise you're not a motivated person. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a tough thing to, to get through. So kind of like just talking with a coach or talking with somebody else about this, not just staying in your own head comes back to your own psychology is in your own head Yeah. <laughs> of getting in, of just uh, getting this down. So um, do you think, I mean, do you think it's important to do some sort of like writing practice or kind of self-assessment with this, even if you are working with a coach you know, to do this yourself throughout the week? Or is it like kind of a once a week check-in is a good time to do this? Do you have any kind of opinion on, on that regarding my, these terms? I do have an opinion. And my opinion is what's going to work for the individual. Mm -hmm. Like some people love to write lists or love to journal things or love to make notes on their phone or have some kind of check-in. And some people will like triple eye roll and, you know, are like, oh my God, I hate that idea. Yeah. And so I want each individual to figure out what is going to serve you and what is not going to serve you. So for example, it doesn't serve me well to journal. It serves me really well to um, talk to a good friend, just like vent, just mm -hmm. share. So verbally 
communicating is much more useful for me than journaling or mm-hmm. writing lists. Um, some people really like to listen to podcasts or watch documentaries or sort of like engage with material that is congruent with their values and goals. And so even though they're not reflecting on their own, their own is being reflected to them, like mm-hmm. back in whatever kind of content they're they're absorbing. And I think that can also be useful. So you don't always have to be in your head to be working on your head. I think the important thing is that we should all develop ways. We should all have skills for how we can be in touch with ourselves and sort of like know thyself. Um, right. And so that might be, you know, listening to podcasts and thinking about them it might be talking with a friend. It might be writing lists. It might be working with a coach. Um, it might be going to a retreat once or twice a year. It might be meditating, but whatever your thing is, figure out what your thing is and then practice that. You know, it's interesting. I talked with uh, my friend Denzel Allen yesterday on the podcast and we were talking about kind of his process and stuff. And one of the questions that he asked that thought was so interesting is how do you learn? And it's mm-hmm. like, are you an audio? Are you a visual? Are you kinesthetic and stuff? And I thought that was kind of an interesting question for coaches to ask people because it's like you know like the school system we think we put everybody in a in a school and everybody learns the same way it's like some people might not learn by reading or writing and if we only do it one way then we think that person's not a good student or that person is not intelligent where no it's like maybe they get more from listening to it or so and i think that's there was just an interesting point you know as you were speaking there about each person it's kind of there's not one way to do this and to find what works best for you. I've meditated before. I'm not a great meditator. Like I just know, Mm -hmm. like I'd rather, Mm -hmm. I'm a writer. I write some stuff out and ask questions and that helps me out. I know a lot of clients I've worked with have done that too, but like connecting on a podcast, like I get so much listening to you about this and like just driving information. Mm -hmm. So I think that Mm -hmm. is such a good point of like, you know, you can try the trial and error, kind of find different things for you and see what clicks and what works best Mm -hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, this is, um, Lisa, this has been awesome. It's been great connecting with you and stuff. I feel like we just got started, but I know I want to be respectful of your time. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, the time did go fast today for sure. Yeah. So, um, if people want to connect more on, um, you know, psych skills for fit pros connect more with your content, what's the best way that they can go check it out? Thank you. So my home base is my website, which is drlewisconsulting.com. And I am actually going to launch a sale for the volume one course in March. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll, I did that once last year and once the year before um, when I first opened the course. So I, I'm pretty sure this is the one time I will do that this year. And so if people are interested in checking out the course, or if you want to know when it does go on sale, what I recommend you do is sign up for my newsletter mm-hmm. and you can do that via my website and you'll, You'll get one email a week. Most of the time it's content, but then when a sale comes up, you know, usually once a year when it comes up, you'll get information about that and then a discount code for the sale. And then also my, my baby, my ongoing project is my Instagram feed, which is, you know, about three times a week. I try to post, um, on connecting strength training and exercise with mental health and psychology in some way. And so if somebody just wants like a little daily dose that way, you can follow me at Dr. Lewis Consulting. Perfect. Awesome. And yes, no, anybody who's a, not just a brand new fit pro, but been in the business or so, please 
take the advice of Dr. Lisa, go get this course. I know it's going to be a phenomenal for you. So, and I will add the course is approved for 1.3 CEU by the NSCA and NASM also. So if people out there are like interested and then also needing some CEUs, this could be a way to get that done. It's an online course. It's do it at your own pace. Um, it's all lectures that I've broken up in anywhere from like 10 to 20, 25 minutes. So you can just do a little bit and then get back to your day and, and get through the course on your own time. Phenomenal. Awesome. Dr. Lisa, thank you so much. This was great. I need to talk to you again soon. We think a lot more to talk about on this topic. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you soon. Awesome. Listeners, thank you so much for connecting. Uh, if you want to follow Dr. Lisa, um, grab her content, you know where to do so now. Catch you on the next one. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I hope you came away with great stories and insights that you can use to create more strength and success in your life. Remember now, for a time, you can grab a free copy of the One Day Strength Challenge, the playbook that incorporates proven strength aerobics training along with the skill of intuition to help you create, design, and achieve your perfect training plan that fits around your busy schedule. Just go to www.thebreakthroughsecrets.com and grab your free copy today. It's your life. Make it the strongest possible. Catch you guys later.